So 51% of kids said, uh, I wouldn't even know how to get connected to a faith community, even if I wanted to. And so we look at that in pursuit of kids who are far from the church and say, there is so much tremendous opportunity out there. Yes, they are skeptical of national organizations and religious power structures, more so than any generation before them. What they are looking for, what they're craving, especially coming out of 2019, 2020, 2021, what they're craving more than anything else are humble guides and trusted mentors. You may ask, what do younger generations think about leadership? Well, I'll raise you an even more important question. What do young leaders think about leadership? Youth for Christ President and CEO Jacob Bland gives us insight on both of those questions. Jacob honors the legacy of a storied ministry, humbly pursues God's calling to step into leadership, and balances that role with a young family. Young leaders out there, listen in. You won't want to miss it. Well, Jake, welcome to the ECFA podcast. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. Well, you bet. So this is the Behind the Seal podcast. We're often kind of going behind the scenes at ECFA, behind the scenes in our ministries that we serve, Youth for Christ uh, being one of them. And just laughing here before the recording, going behind the scenes a little bit for yeah, those exactly. who are listening. We have overcome so much in order to get this interview done. There's literally like fire trucks at your office right now. Yes, because there are. Of alarm <laughs> yes there are and i'm hoping that they don't come barging in here but we'll, we'll press on right in faithfulness well, <laughs> there you go that would be a first on the ecfa podcast but there's a first time for everything right yeah we'll cling and trust <laughs> there you go there you go well hey we appreciate you so much your leadership and longtime uh partnership with yfc as a, a charter member of ecfa a ministry that has stood for integrity and accountability and just Knowing you too and your leadership, I know those are passion points for you. So thanks so much for being part of this season of the podcast where we're focusing some conversations around leadership integrity and healthy leadership. So good to have you. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here, honored, and I've loved the conversations with you that have led to this point. Uh, so thanks for your leadership and what you do as well. Well, you bet. Well, let's jump right in. And many of those listening, they, they may not know or be familiar with this, but how many ministries can claim that Billy Graham was the first staff member uh, of your organization? So talk about a legacy of integrity. Uh, my goodness, uh, you all have a unique claim there, don't you? Uh, it's kind of fun that you would start there. I, so just I'll tell you, I walk by into this office every day. There's a huge canvas of Billy Graham right outside my office, standing at a mm -hmm. Youth for Christ podium. And someone reminded me of that legacy the other day. They were joking, of course, but they said, you know, Jake, someday you are going to die and you're going to have to face Billy Graham. You're going to have to be held accountable to Billy. And of course they were joking, but uh, obviously uh, an incredible legacy of faithfulness mm -hmm. and stewardship from the very beginning in Youth for Christ and one that we... Uh, love, respect, uh, look up to in so many ways, uh, speak about often. And I think it, his leadership from the very beginning has made its way uh, into our mission today. When I look at even the cultural attributes that we have today, uh, it's been influenced largely by uh, those early years in the mid-1940s when troops were coming back from World War II 
and they had a passion for reaching young men and women who were desperately in need of hope of the gospel. That's the mission today, just like it was then. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. Well, we honor that just right alongside you. And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit more about that, Jake. You know, how does that legacy of integrity even continue on to this day in the ministry at Youth for Christ? Well, I think about the cultural attributes that we have in place. And so, um, you know, these are these are written. These are talked about. These are taught. Uh, Christ centeredness is the banner cultural attribute that all of our attributes fly under. Uh, There are others, of course, you know, we talk about uh, what Christ centeredness means in terms of leadership across Youth for Christ. Well, we want to be leaders who lead with enduring humility, for example, Hmm. leaders who lead with courageous faithfulness relentless trust. Uh, that's not a complete list, but those, those concepts then fly under this banner of Christ-centeredness. And I think that that's uh, inspired all the way from the beginning. That, that's the leadership that was modeled in the mid-40s, and that's who we want to be as Christ-centered leaders uh, today in 2023. I also think that you see it, Michael, at the board level. Uh, this is a national board that's gathered that's good and godly, and they set the tone. Uh, it was my predecessor who reminded me when I stepped into this role, he said, never forget, they love you, but they love the mission more. And mm, that is true. When I think about our national board, they, they love me, but they love the mission more. And that's what they're in place. That's what I'm in place uh, as a trustee to steward and guard. Um, so you see that play out in all across our mission, whether it's corporate prayer, uh, times of worship, uh, times of public reading of scripture together, Uh, taking communion together, partaking in communion. Um, These are practices that are in place at all of our meetings and gatherings and conferences so that we remain focused on being Christ-centered leaders through whom uh, God might use to reach a million kids or more. Uh, And that's the idea. So, you know, I think another way it plays out, Michael, is we don't actually have a founder culture in Youth for Christ. And I know a lot of organizations do, and I, I can't imagine how difficult that might be to pivot out of a founder culture or to succeed in a, in a founder culture. But you mentioned Billy Graham as our first employee. He's, he's not our founder. Uh, there were a group of men who uh, were compelled by the Holy Spirit to launch this ministry called Youth for Christ. He just happens to be one of those that we remember most vividly, of course, because of what he went on to do for the mm-hmm. kingdom. Uh, but we don't have that uh, founder culture that we're trying to navigate. And we've got lots of distributed authority on purpose. You know, we, we're, a, we're a grassroots, field-led, locally-led organization. And so we've got accountability structures in place uh, where those local leaders actually form a governing body called the Council of Delegates in Youth for Christ, which if we're a for-profit, you might say it's employee-owned. Uh, that's a very similar structure to what we enjoy at Youth for Christ, where our local field leaders actually play a role in governing and stewarding the mission alongside the National Board of Trustees. So those are some some ways that I think from the very beginning, uh, this 79-year-old organization has been set up uh, to be governed uh, with relentless trust. Oh, that's super helpful. And I want to dig into something, too, that you said, Jake, which was just around humility. And I don't know, it it seems like leaders or organizations would probably naturally tend more towards like pride over time as the ministry grows, or we become more successful, you know, whatever it may be. So, yeah, what does that look like practically to even just 
um, it's a bit counter, I guess, counter to the way things naturally happen to be an organization of humility. So like practically, how does that look like? How do you resist pride, you know, seeping into the ministry, into your leadership? Yeah, well, I think that's a great question. And I think leading in an organization that does feel locally led, uh, in some ways locally governed, uh, it, they have lots of ways of keeping a national leader humble. Uh, you know, this again, it's not a it's not a founder culture. It's not a top down structure in how Youth for Christ is organized. And I think that that's part of the design that's really important. Uh, but I think just in general, um, you know, we can resist this Christian celebrity culture. Uh, just look at the word. I mean, Psalm 115, verse one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and because of your faithfulness. Uh, I quoted that verse when that when I was announced uh, as the new president and CEO of Youth for Christ, because I don't I don't want this next era to be about me. My predecessor didn't either. Uh, so mm. we don't have a built in Christian celebrity kind of a culture here at Youth for Christ. And I think that's so important. Uh, we're looking at a project here coming up where uh, we have an opportunity to film some content and put it out there for the world to see. And, and someone said, well, you know, Jake, you need to be up there in the front and make sure that you're you're the bookend of this. And I said, I don't think so. You know, we have young, vibrant, diverse leaders across this mission. Let's not put my face on it. Let's, let's feature those who are uh, doing the work in the trenches. And so we're, we're trying to make those kinds of decisions every day, whether it's featuring a story on our website um, to, to not lead with the president and CEO, but instead lead with the thousands of faithful and heroic leaders across this mission who are investing uh, in the lives of kids who desperately need hope. Wow. Well, I just applaud that. I think that's great. I know that's not what you're looking for, <laughs> but I yeah. do just affirm that. I think that's a wonderful example. And, you know, too, uh, for those who are listening and may maybe don't know your full story, but I'd say in a lot of ways, you kind of like grew up in a sense, like in this YFC culture. And, um, you know, you've been part of the ministry for uh, multiple decades, which yeah. being your age, that's kind of a significant thing to say. But I'd just be kind of curious even to, to to hear a little bit more about how this culture that you were kind of part of, like, how did that influence uh, your leadership? How you, um, you know, have even kind of assumed the role that you're in now? How did those experiences impact you when you were either volunteering or on staff at yeah, YFC? It's a, a great question. I mean, I, I grew up in, uh, by the grace of God, a local church that helped form me, you know, as a, as a young kid. But make no mistake, my experiences with YFC played a significant role. In, in my own spiritual journey and walk with Christ through middle school and, and high school. Uh, my grandmother came to Christ at a Youth for Christ, a Billy Graham rally, you know. Uh, hmm. my, my dad was drugged by my mom to a YFC meeting in the 1970s where he met Christ. So I, I think about the debt of gratitude that I owe to this mission. For me personally, I left a, a software background. I thought I was going to write code for the rest of my life. And I, when I left that as a volunteer in this ministry, uh, never in a million years imagined joining the staff. But there's something about coming alongside leaders who are in passionate, uh, faithful pursuit of kids who are far from Jesus, you know, far from the church, uh, have not heard the gospel, have never opened the scriptures. And it was through those life on life relational experiences that the Lord just kept drawing me into this mission. I thought... I never imagined that I'd be talking to you right now from a, a seat like this. 
I thought that would be face to face with kids when I left my software company and came into Youth for Christ. And I did that for seven years, you know, face to face with with kids. And so the Lord has these ways of introducing twists and turns along the way that you don't see coming. And a, a move to the national office was like that for me. Uh, increasing roles of, and responsibility were like that for me. Certainly this role was like that for me, never imagined. And so uh, I think that's it's just part of the ethos of YFC that I love is that we've got literally hundreds of leaders across the mission who are capable of stepping into this role. And hmm. that reminds you every day uh, that I'm not special. This is, uh, this is a stewardship. You know, it was mm -hmm. like most geriatric millennials. I listened to the Catalyst podcast when I was mowing my lawn, you know, as a, as a college student. I those moments too, my goodness. Yeah, right? And, and, and uh, Andy Stanley used to say every single week, every week he would, he would open that podcast with, leadership is a stewardship. It is temporary and you're accountable. And I think that mantra uh, has just been preached to us over and over again, and we need to take it seriously. Uh, so that's that's sort of the heart and posture in which I enter in. Wow, that's awesome. Gosh, yeah, I'm hearing that playback. I, I, as you were saying that, I'm just hearing that playback in my mind. That's too funny. Um, well, speaking I don't of say it with as much conviction as he did, but it's it's <laughs> it's in the heart. So. You're you're close. You're close. Um, no, I'm thinking too, just along the lines of generations, and you know, even the generation that you're ministering to now, uh, that's up and coming, and just around. You know, we've had a lot of conversations with different leaders about this topic of of leadership integrity and healthy leadership, but specifically from your vantage point, because you know, you guys are in the trenches. You're up close and personal. Like, I would love to hear from you too, just what you're seeing in this next generation and how they see the importance of healthy leadership. What does that look like to them? So Michael, I am so encouraged about Gen Z. Uh, do not believe any of the negative press that you read about Gen Z. I know there are researchers out there that are more hopeful than others, but when we in Youth for Christ look at Gen Z, we are so filled with hope. Uh, this is a generation that loves beauty, that loves authenticity. And I tell you what, those are the kinds of things that we can work with in Youth for Christ. Mm -hmm. We love young people. We want to see the hearts of the body of Christ turned towards the next generation uh, to actually believe in our nation's young people, to invest in them. And we want to be a part of catalyzing those gospel movements everywhere in cities uh, with and, and for young people. And so I won't bore you, I could throw statistics at you all day, uh, but there, there was a study that was done that said twice as many kids in Gen Z believe in a higher power's existence than doubt it. 51% wow. said, I know, isn't that? So 51% of kids said, uh, I wouldn't even know how to get connected to a faith community, even if I wanted to. And so we look at that in pursuit of kids who are far from the church and say, there is so much tremendous opportunity out there. Yes, they are skeptical of national organizations and religious power structures more so than any generation before them. But like my friend, Dr. Josh Packard says, what they are looking for, what they're craving, especially coming out of 2019, 2020, 2021, what they're craving more than anything else are humble guides and trusted mentors. And that mm -hmm. was uh, really a finding that emerged through their qualitative study. Uh, you know, it depends on which researcher you read. You could look at Fuller. They're saying kids need identity, purpose, belonging. The truth mm. is they just want local Christian leaders to be authentically themselves. They want the grandfather that they never had. They want, they don't need 
that grandfather to pretend and act like a teenager. They just want authentic people in their lives who are invested in them. And they're super inquisitive. This next generation is very inquisitive. They want to know what is truth. And so um, we have to adjust our methods and our strategies to actually reflect more of the Jesus way of life. Jesus was amazing at asking good questions. He didn't rush to the answers with people. He asked good questions and he engaged them in conversation. And that's where we're seeing so much hope and potential in Gen Z uh, in these relational conversations. Uh, it's, it's very, very encouraging to us. Sure. Yeah. Something that you said really grabbed me. And I think it's a mission of ECFA. It's this whole idea of enhancing trust. Yeah. You talk about this, this upcoming generation, Gen Z, yeah, more skeptical than ever. Um, so yeah, we've got our work cut out for us, <laughs> right? So Absolutely. what would you say? I mean, to those who are listening to lead institutions, organizations, I mean, you come from one, I do yeah. too, a long legacy and things like that. But if we know that folks are skeptical, what, is, what, what, what can we do about it? Well, it's a great question. And it's one that we're wrestling through as a leadership team, because here we are, we've got this large national, international presence, uh, and, and we got a great brand. I love our brand. I, you know, we sell t-shirts and sweatshirts with it on it. Uh, and, and we love it. Right. But that is not what is going to speak to this next generation. What they want are hyper localized. Really. They don't care that that small group of local leaders is connected to a national organization. What they want are two or three caring, loving adults in their world who know and love Jesus and, and know how to share his story in a relational way where it's, you know, sometimes about asking the right questions, and it's sometimes about disclosing bits and pieces of God's story, the gospel along the way, in a relational context. And so what we're doing at Youth for Christ is actually looking at how do we leverage this localized structure that we've had since the mid-40s? I mean, the beauty in our, in our world is that we started this way. We started local and added the national infrastructure, added the international infrastructure later, and so it's really looking at how do we multiply relationships at the local level? And that's all that matters. It's not, we do have national strategic plans, of course, but what we're doubling down on is what does it look like at the ground level to multiply a leader, multiply a relationship, multiply a ministry site, whether or not the kid ever makes that connection to a large national institution. No, that's good. And you talked about another word I, I heard you say, Jake, was authenticity. And that's yeah. a huge value. And authentic, authenticity, if I could say that, authenticity <laughs> coupled with integrity, right? Because as people get to know who we really are, you know, we want to make sure that it's integrity, you know, is right. what they find. And not perfection, but integrity. And so talk to us a little bit about what that looks like. Let's dive deeper into, yeah, just this YFC culture. And I know just from some of the things you and I have talked about, some of those standards, some of those things that are in place, uh, particularly around, you know, leadership integrity mm -hmm. too. Like what are some of those things that are part of the culture that you all are trying to build? Yeah. Well, one thing that comes to mind is you say that. So in all of our models, whether it's pursuing kids in juvenile detention facilities or a local high school or middle school or a military base, no matter where we find kids, all of our models rely on this three-story relational and evangelism model. And the essence of that model is uh, that we focus on building an abiding relationship with Christ 
first, my story and how it overlaps with God's story. And so we're teaching leaders, you know, John 15, remain in me, I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, I am the vine, you are the branches. When, when Jesus said that, he was quite serious. And you see that played out in all of scripture. When we try to lead on our own, uh, there's not much fruit to show for it. But when we lead in an abiding relationship with Jesus, the love of Christ overflows out of who we are. Uh, and it's much more compelling when we are compelled by the love of Christ that's overflowing and spilling out of us. And so I think at, a, at a, just a foundational scriptural level, uh, that's what we're teaching. Uh, it, we always love to draw the circles on a whiteboard, separated apart from each other, and say, okay, leader, uh, which move is most important first? And it's tempting to say, well, I want my story to overlap with the kid's story, right? I want to move closer to that kid in relationship. That is not the most important relational overlap. The most important relational overlap is that I'm growing in an ongoing today abiding relationship with Jesus. And then as I interact with the people around me, they are experiencing Jesus in me rather than me out of my own strength trying to pursue those around me with some kind of sales pitch. Uh, and that, that I think at the essence and the core of training our leaders in that way has created this mindset of the importance of abiding deeply in Christ. And so that translates just to kind of continue in that thought, Jake, I think what I'm hearing you say too, is that that translates even into structures around your leadership, oh, yeah. uh, the board. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. It, absolutely. You know, um, I think about uh, our, again, just to kind of take you behind the scenes or behind the, the, the seal to our national boardroom, even when they were going through a discernment process of me stepping into this role a year and a half ago, they had gone through a book study together that was deeply meaningful for the national board. One of them was The Council by Dr. Gary Hogue. Uh, the other was uh, Discerning or Pursuing God's Will Together by Ruth Haley Barton. Hmm. And those two books really set the conditions for the national board to say, we are a culture of humility and prayer. And yes, they, they engaged an outside search firm and um, they went through all the right procedures and processes, but I think that that tone, that culture is what then manifests in procedures and policies. You know, we could talk about procedures and policies all day, but you and I both know you could write a statement that looks good on paper that no one actually in their heart wants to align with. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's the board's, you know, from the top down, it's, it's their hard work. They've done the deep heart work around how do we build a culture of abiding faithfulness, uh, humility, prayer, so that our policies are simply a reflection of that heart work that's been done. Yeah, there's so many things that come to mind just as you talk about that. But I think one that I'll just I'll go down this trail is what does that what did that mean to you, you know, as a leader stepping into this space to know like that's the kind of board that you were going to be working with, that they would have that kind of care for you, honestly, in your relationship with Christ and to support to support your, uh, yeah, your relationship with the Lord and all those things. Uh, what, what, what did that, what did that feel like for you stepping in? Yeah. I had some tough questions coming in because remember this was a surprise for me. I didn't anticipate, uh, even applying for this role. And I know that when they went out and got the search firm, they had, you know, over 200 candidates and there were some friends inside the organization that had sort of nudged me and said, you know, we think you should apply. Um, I, 
we went through some, you know, you talk about what was that engagement like with the board. Uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster through the process because mm. uh, imagine this, some of us got through our first round interviews and then COVID hit and they paused the process. And oh, I, was, I was sort of like <laughs> trying to figure out, did I say something wrong? What, you know, what, are they trying to reset and start over? What's the deal here? I see the wisdom in it now of pausing a search process in the middle of the pandemic. But what I remember in those moments is being called enough to apply for the role, but feeling like that calling would have to be confirmed through those that I was interacting with. I, I really needed them to confirm the call. And so they did that throughout the process. I mean, I asked some hard questions around personal, uh, you know, how, how they were going to care for my we have young kids at home, five and seven. How's that going to work? You know, that that's not been tried before, at least in our context. And so I could go into that more specifically, but I'll just tell you from start to finish, that board demonstrated that posture of faithfulness. When they got down to their final interviews, their final round, our board chair in his wisdom, as they had interviewed the last couple candidates said, uh, I don't want anybody to speak to each other about your impressions right now. We just want to pray. And we're going to pray for 24 hours. Do not speak to another trustee. But then what he wanted them to do after 24 hours was submit a name to him blindly so that he could get a sense for how aligned the national board was. Because we had talked about this, like, I want this calling to be confirmed. And would you know, they, they were unanimous in that moment. They didn't know that because they hadn't yet voted, but they were submitting blindly to the board chair without talking to each other that they were unanimous, which served as a really confirming call in my wife, Allie and I's heart to go, okay, this is not just mm -hmm. called enough to apply, but there's a group of people who are good and godly who have demonstrated that along the way. And, and they too of, are of like mind and heart in this moment. Wow. My goodness. Uh, I was just thinking too, hearing you say that, how different so many board meetings would be if yeah. uh, we all followed the advice of your board chair yeah. to not talk about our impressions, but to stop and to pray. I mean, that can be applied to so many areas, but I love hearing that. Well, how about too, Jake, just kind of on an ongoing basis, you shared some things with me about uh, just expectations or um, there are some structures, there are some yeah. things that are, that are in place, even like what a required sabbat, like a required annual sabbatical, yes. right? yeah. something of that nature. Talk to us about that. What does that look like? Yeah, they, they uh, so this is one of those moments where, you know, as a leader with a young family, I didn't actually expect them to go for this. They actually ex established that July sabbatical with the, my predecessor. And when I came in, Michael, I said, I would rather my time off align with my kids' break, you know, whether it's fall break mm -hmm. or Christmas break. Like, let's, I would like to take off time when my kids take off time. And you know what they said? They said, do both. We want you to take vacation, but this July off, that's not a vacation. That's a, that's a, a, a sabbatical of sorts. That's where we're asking you to pray, seek the Lord, ask for a vision, uh, get restored and refreshed and come in on August 1st in a position of strength every year. Our, our fiscal year uh, runs July 1st through June 30. So that's part of the reason why the first month out of the year as a time of, of praying, of planning, of preparing just fits. And, you know, it's done some things too with our team. I mean, you, you step away for a month. First of all, the Lord speaks to us in extended periods of silence in ways that he doesn't. You should still take an afternoon off when you can to plan, but 
but he speaks to us in, in extended periods of silence in ways that he doesn't with the shorter periods, but also with the team around, it can be a huge empowering step to go, hey, we're all reminded in this moment that the mission is not about me. And if stuff breaks over the next month, we'll fix it. We'll, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that happened, you know, you come back a month later and you go, I might not have done it that way, but, uh, but that's okay. That's, that's part of the journey that we all go through in leadership and team dynamics. And I think on the whole, it's been really, really healthy for our team. Um, you know, some of those other uh, health and accountability measures that the boards put in place, like they insist on a 360 review where my team is speaking into that 360 review. It goes to the board. They see the results. I don't get to edit the results before they go to the board. And so they're seeing what are the true impressions of the team around me. Uh, I'm a part of an outside group called C12. It's a network of Christian CEOs. They go through a similar review process every year. And my board chair sits in on that review process with those CEO peers that are outside the organization that are speaking to uh, my growth or health over the last year. And so there's, uh, there's another aspect of community there. And of course, we're, we're employing like cultural surveys and uh, you know, gathering metrics all the time that go before our board so that they can get a pulse of the health and growth of the organization beyond, I think it's really easy as an executive director or as a CEO to just go, hey, if my financials are in a good place and I can tell a good story, I can get to the next meeting. And that is not the way this national board operates. I mean, they wanna see, they wanna see measures and benchmarks of health and growth, and that includes uh, my own health and growth. Well, Jake, you know, I'm obviously a huge believer in everything that you just said. I don't doubt it for a minute, but I know there's probably some people who are listening that maybe are a little bit skeptical about some of the things, you know, that you shared and, and even like, oh my goodness, if, if I were to take a month away, you know, what would that look like? Uh, and some of those times off with family throughout the year and all, like, does the ministry suffer in terms of productivity and things like that? Just speak to us based on your lived experience and what you've seen, um, Talk to those skeptics. Well, I think it's it's appropriate to be a skeptic. And let me just say, I recognize how hard that must be in a smaller organization where maybe there's not as, as much of a, a bench around to step into those leadership roles. I, I have led in those contexts where it's like, hey, if I'm not the one doing it, who else is going to do it? Um, and so I, I, can, I can resonate with what that might feel like. But I... And it's funny, you know, when my when I first joined this C12 group, uh, I remember saying to the C12 chair, what is the optimal number of days outside the office? Because I'm skeptical. They wanted a they want a full day every single month out of the office to go through their curriculum, to meet together with other CEOs. And that just felt way too extreme and extravagant to me. But Michael, my wife would tell you when I come home from those days of stepping outside the working on the organization instead of inside the organization, I'm on fire. I mean, I, I am, my soul is charged up, my spirit. So I come back in. This isn't about the number of hours that you're putting in. This is about, um, you know, I had a, a CEO friend one time who said, really the role of the CEO is to make a handful of good decisions every year. That's it, mm -hmm. make a handful of good decisions every year. And I think it's through this process of getting away, uh, getting alone, quiet, intimate with the father, Jesus modeled this, uh, that we really, uh, come back and lead with the best of, of who we can be, uh, allowing the spirit to flow through us. And so there are little practices that I put in place too, Michael, like I'm pretty fierce on, 
I don't like to do email in the week or uh, in the evenings. It's a it's a no email over the weekends. Certainly not on Sunday. Uh, and even trying out this practice, you know, we've all got these devices in our pocket. I turn off the data from Saturday evening to Sunday evening every weekend. All the thing does is make and receive phone calls. That's it. It doesn't. You can't browse the web. It's just. It's the little practices like that that I think align us to these ancient practices of Jewish people, of Christians, uh, mm -hmm. and we've lost some of that. You know, we thought that technology would somehow give us more margin, and all we've done is fill it, and we're not better for it. And so it's my conviction that we need to return to some of those healthy practices, Practices, and one of them is uh, to step away. You know, I'll say one more thing. YFC allows for a sabbatical every seven years, and I skipped my first one, and I look back on that now. I didn't take my mm. first sabbatical until 14 years in, and I look back on that not with uh, gratitude or I'm not impressed with myself. I'm actually not shame. God wouldn't want us to live in a place of shame, but a, a lesson learned, right? Um, I thought too highly of myself seven years in and the role that I played in ministry. And I was convinced that I was the linchpin, that I was too important to, to step away. And that was not true 14 years in. 14 years in, I was in a, you could argue, a, a more significant role in the organization, but every, it's fine. We're still here. The Lord is the one who's doing the work and he uses us to do it. And so it's a, a healthier perspective, I think, to take the time to step away. No, you're exactly right. It comes back to, to something you shared earlier too, which is humility. There is a healthy amount of humility in everything you just said. And to think like, we don't have too high of a view of ourselves to think yeah. we should do exactly what Jesus did yeah. and he modeled and all those things. Hey, one more skeptic, you know, yeah, type question. Fun. And that is, yeah, thank you. Be, going back to also just this idea of like 360 reviews, uh, a very high level of accountability, transparency with the board. You know, I, I think there might be some leaders out there that could feel a little uncomfortable with that, or just this feels a little bit intrusive or even... Maybe it's not even the 360s. Maybe it's some of the other areas that you've embraced. And the criticism might be, hmm, is that going too far? Like, is that the board going too far? Are they getting a little too intrusive into personal life or leadership and, and things of that nature? Talk to us about that and, and just yeah. kind of what you've seen. Yeah, it, it's a great question. I, I What I was thinking about while you were saying that is those are not actually the moments that feel the most invasive, uh, the one that feels even more invasive than that. We've we've uh, deployed this Q and A strategy with our local chapters across the country, where they can ask me any question they want, and I have, I have no idea what question's coming next. So it could be, you know, what'd you have for breakfast, or it could be, uh, why did you make that decision on that that policy that we don't like as a you know as a local chapter? And so, in two weeks, I'll be on a stage with all of our executive leaders across the mission who have fair game to ask any question they want to ask about the direction and the vision of YFC. That is an intimidating environment because again, I'm with hundreds of leaders who could do this job as well, if not better than I can. I'll tell you, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's definitely enhanced the mission. I think it does take personal sacrifice in order to go there. That's very real, but there's no question that it, it enhances the mission's effectiveness. You know, my, uh, my predecessor used to say uh, that when his head hit the pillow, it was the mission that kept him up at night. 
you might think it was a staffing concern or a budget or a fundraising concern. And I remember scratching my head on that thinking mm. like, th those seem like the weighty issues, right? That a president or a CEO would be dealing with, but, but I get it now. I mean, you, when you're charged with stewarding a mission, uh, it should be the mission that keeps us up at night. And we should want to, uh, as effectively as possible, steward and leverage everything that God's given us to advance that mission. And so it's opening yourself up to these kinds of invasive practices that are selflessly advancing the mission. Uh, someday, you know, I, a friend of mine said, that they should put interim in front of all of our titles, you know, I'm for the, sure. <laughs> I'm the interim president and CEO of Youth for Christ, yeah. and, and someday uh, the board will discern that that's not me. And I, in those moments, will have to cling and trust that it's because they love the mission more. They love you, but they love the mission more. And I think that's the mantra that we should all carry uh, when opening ourselves up to what feels like invasive practices like that. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for unpacking those points. I hope everybody who's listening embraces <laughs> and believes, yeah. yeah, those points. They'd be better for it, you know, that's for sure. Um, one other thought just in this uh, space of interaction, you know, for you as a leader and along with the board is, sounds like you have a phenomenal uh, board. And I don't know, maybe this is a board chair question. We should, you know, have the board chair on to be able to answer. <laughs> okay. But speak, you know, from your experience too, I think um, one thing that sounds so key in your story is, is this incredible board that had gone through their own discipleship process, their own being with the Lord, just all of those things. What is in place to make sure there's good continuity with that? Because, yeah. you know, in the board chair roles there, in most ministries, there is rotation, there's terms and all those things. Um, what's kind of in the culture there to make sure that that continues? Because I think that's key to continued yes. health. Yes, it's a great question. And, you know, this board has been together for a long time. And that is actually one of the questions that I asked in my interview process was understanding if they had thoughtfully considered how the board will turn over over time. And I can't share the specifics of that plan. What I can tell you is that I'm so encouraged by the thoughtfulness of how that board intends to uh, turn over in the years ahead. Uh, it's very, so whether it's a trustee development committee on the national board, that's, that's really um, building a matrix of the profile of the board that's needed, uh, looking at uh, gaps that we have in, in the makeup of the board, considering candidates that would be strong candidates, going slow, uh, to discern who these candidates are as people, as believers, as followers of Christ. Uh, but then uh, the thoughtful rotation to ensure that it's not some mass exodus from the national board. I mean, there's, there is a thoughtful plan in place uh, to ensure that, that that takes place over a period of time. And I'm really grateful for it. I can't claim credit for its construction, but I am impressed with it. Yeah, same here. Very encouraged by that. Well, shifting gears to just a little bit, you know, one thing too, Jake, if you don't mind sharing, would love to hear a little bit too, just about what do you see as the impact on your family? You know, as you think about the way things have been structured and set up and, you know, certainly carry a lot of responsibility, but it sounds like you have not only an accountable, but also a very supportive 
uh, dynamic with the board and um, and you've you've also put up some guardrails, you know, even just yeah. on very practical things like the amount of time you spend outside the office and all. Um, do you mind sharing just a little bit? Like what's that been like for for your wife, for your kids, um, how how they responded to some of that? Sure. Uh, I'll tell you that I, I, I got to give a couple shout outs here. Um, before I accepted this role, I had a conversation with Tom Lynn, who's the president of InterVarsity, and he has done this well with a young family. And Tom helped me understand, you know, some of these parameters that need to be in place. And I was really, really grateful for that. Uh, another one, Peter Greer. Uh, I didn't speak with Peter directly, but I spoke with the team around him that has helped to install some of those practices so that he can succeed as a healthy and, and you know, balanced leader with guardrails. Uh, for, for us personally, what adds to this challenge is we, we have a child with special needs. And so, um, by the way, that is the most uh, joy-filled and challenging aspect of our journey. Uh, it's the hardest part of my day is not leading Youth for Christ. Uh, it's finding the right ways to lead our family well. And so in talking with leaders who are in similar situations, there are some practices that we put in place. One, a simple, easy one is I asked the board if they would be willing to put a cap on the number of nights away per year. Uh, so I, I count a night away as did I get to eat with dinner with my kids and did I get to put them to bed? And if I didn't, for whatever reason, whether I'm hosting a team in town or whether I'm traveling, that counts as a night away. Mm -hmm. And so we put a cap on the number of nights away. And I really didn't think that the board would go for it, but they did. And so uh, it's been really an amazement that they are willing to hold me accountable to that. The other one is in my world, it works best if the work days start really early and they're scheduled really, really tight. The days are scheduled really, really tight. I have an amazing executive assistant who gets all of those values and orchestrates it so well. Uh, but then I, when I'm in town, when I'm not on a trip, I am out of this office early in the afternoon to go pick up my kids in town from the, from school every single day that I'm in town. And that's made a huge difference. Start early, leave early. Now, I will say that can frustrate all kinds of leaders around because they'll contact my assistant and they'll say, you know, when's he available for a 20 minute conversation? And she'll say, well, it's several weeks or, you know, a couple months out. And that can be shocking. People can say, well, you don't have any margin. Well, the fact is you're building in the margin on purpose and the boundaries on purpose which actually is counterintuitive, right? It makes it feel like there is no margin, but the truth is you've built all those rules so that you can honor the people that you love the most around you. And so those kinds of practices in place uh, have helped, you know, whether it's no emails on the weekends, never an email on Sundays, you know, it's not legalistic. Uh, it's a labor of love to set those boundaries uh, for a family that deserves our very best focus and attention. For sure. Yeah. So much respect for that. I think that helps so many people who are listening. Um, Jake, I know you got to run. Speaking of time, speaking of margin, yeah. you're probably running to your next thing. Yes. Uh, I do want to ask you before you go, just, you know, again, you work with, you're an incredible leader. You work with uh, the, this next generation. You're seeing into the future, I believe. What do you see as the greatest challenge looking forward for leaders? That is a great question. Um, I think I would answer by saying unity. Uh, so when Jesus prayed for John 17, in John 17 for unity, that's the Lord's prayer, right? Uh, 
the our father the, that's the disciples prayer when when people ask jesus how to teach uh them how to pray but jesus the heart of jesus's prayer was what we see in john 17 when he prayed for unity for all believers and i think that's probably the greatest challenge in the years ahead uh, is for christian leaders to discern how do we lead god's people forward in a way that seeks unity that seeks uh, to be peacemakers that seeks to build cultures of reconciliation we're, we're capable of holding space for difficult conversations, uh, but we seek, uh, we seek the unity of, of God's people and we seek to be peacemakers in those conversations. So that's, I used to think that unity was a means to the end. And I think now having reread John 17 and considered uh, the heart of Christ in that moment, that it may not be a means to the end. Uh, unity in the body of Christ may actually be the end that God desires for us. Uh, and that is certainly going to be a significant challenge in the years ahead. Oh, that's a huge charge, but Hey, I'm in prayer with you that YFC is going to be a big part of that. You know, I, I, I pray. And, uh, speaking of prayer, I know you, you are a prayerful person. You're a prayerful guy. Even as we were preparing for this conversation, maybe the Lord's put some things on your heart. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything else that you just kind of feel like, man, Michael, I got to share if I have the opportunity just as we close out. Yeah, I think I would go back to, and I quoted it once before, a mantra, a rally cry of sorts, which emerges out of John, or sorry, Psalm 115. Uh, Psalm 115, verse one, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and because of your faithfulness. If we make that our rally cry, then everything you're dreaming about and we're dreaming about in terms of accountability and structure, uh, that'll all take care of itself if we align with uh, Psalm 115 verse one, which reminds us that it's not about us after all. This is about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who chooses to move by the power of his spirit in and through us. And uh, that would be my challenge to the listeners would be to own and uh, linger in Psalm 115 with me. Great, hey, we'll do that, Psalm 115. All right, that's where we'll leave it. Jake, thank you so much. This was well worth it. <laughs> we worked hard to, hard, to hard one. It was so good. So yeah. God bless you, the ministry of YFC. We appreciate you so much. Grateful for you and all that you do. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for the privilege. All right. Thanks. Take care. Okay. So many good sound bites from that. But if you've ever worked with youth, you know building relationships takes time and energy and a lot of awkwardness, I assure you. What a great reminder from Jake to abide in Christ. Our relationship with Him must be most important, and all others benefit from prioritizing it. Well, we can't thank you enough for listening to ECFA's Behind the Seal podcast. We always appreciate any feedback you send our way and reviews wherever you get your podcast. Forward this to the youngest leader you know. Hey, we'll see you next time. Take care.